Our speaker this hour is Dr. Jonathan Moore, and uh, he is eminently qualified to speak on the subject that we're going to have uh, hear him speak on today. I had not met um, Dr. Moore, Jonathan, until what? couple weeks ago at the staff retreat and uh, just really was impressed with the, the presentation that he made there and uh, he uh, has done uh, 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 quite a bit of work with Bible and passages and uh, very good work at that we're, we're very glad to have him here today and I don't want to take up any more of his time because I'm going to have to have a few seconds to figure out my timer but uh, come preach the word to us brother. thank you and thank you for abbreviating the introduction. It's a small group, and I'm really honored to be here. And I got some some of my most yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, some of my dearest friends here, and uh, the Moors, and uh, you know Keith is becoming a, a very dear friend. But, but um, and Brother Bates, I, I hope we're in Israel together. I think we're going to maybe do some digging together. So um, very excited to be here, and this is such a pertinent topic, and 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 I'm I'm glad Keith is here, and 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 uh, of course, um, uh, Dan, thank you, and your wife Diane for being here. Goodness, we have a I, I certainly have a, it, it's really thrilling to be here. One of the things that's interesting about this Psalm, Psalm 46, and if you we're going to spend for the most part all of our time there, you could turn there. One of the things that we oftentimes don't look at is who wrote this and who's the song for, to. Um, who does it say there at the top of your psalms, uh, this song is about, or for, or written by? <coughs> and, and if you, you, you're going to see a name there that you should recognize, and that name is Korah. Uh, anybody recognize that name? Has anyone ever done genealogy and looked back a few generations and found a pretty horrendous name that maybe John Wayne Gacy or some or Hitler or Mussolini or uh, there probably wasn't a more abhorred name among, maybe among the Jews than Korah, right? You remember Numbers chapter 16? What happened there? But is there not a more beautiful picture of the grace of God than what happened some 18 generations later where David is utilizing the sons of Korah? And what's even more beautiful is contemplating how important the prophet Samuel was, who was a descendant of Korah. Did you know that? Haman was a descendant of Korah. Um, and so when you, when you think about this topic, and you, if you don't think about the providence and the grace of God and how he displayed mercy to that family. And, and when you read number 16, you almost can infer that almost the whole family was engulfed by this hole in the ground. Um, but no, some of his sons were allowed to live. And here we are, fast forward, and we have their name attached to this song. And, and when you think about making God your help in times of trouble, I think it, I would be remiss if I did not mention that uh, it's connected to that family. Um, it's a beautiful thing. The continuing existence of this family, of course, is a testimony, of course, to God's grace. And I think that's pretty amazing. So um, Psalms 46 is divided up into several sections. And, and what you'll see at the end of each section is this word salah. And we'll talk a little bit about that. And again, the thoughts in this psalm are organized into pairs. In fact, I don't want to spend much time on this, but there is this very important structure in poetry called a chiasm. 
And the psalm as a whole is a chiastic structure. And I'm just going to spend a couple of seconds to show you an example of a, of a chiasm, this chiastic structure. Look at how beautiful it's organized. At the very top, the very first verse refers to God as our refuge. The very, at the very end, God is our refuge. And you, it meets in the middle with this concept that God speaks and the nations rage. And so you see this beautiful structure. And, and if we think that you know, someone sat down and, and didn't think and put much thought and organization into these psalms, think again. Um, now, there are lots of passages of scripture and poetry that are referred to as chiastic that aren't maybe necessarily, some people see chiasm in them. But this is, I think, a, a beautiful uh, passage and a beautiful way to, to put this. So it's easy for Christians, obviously, to become apprehensive and even fearful when circumstances go bad. In fact, many of us may be sitting here right now thinking of something that's going on in your life that you have to deal with when you leave here. And of course, the storms of life can become so daunting and overwhelming that sometimes our faith suffers. And Brother Keith have talked about that, and so many have talked about the, the Psalms and being a reminder of the fact that we have a steadfast, covenant-keeping God. Um, and the, you know, sometimes the greater the problem, the more susceptible we become to discouragement. And this, this psalm that we're, that we're going to be, be studying, again, is a beautiful picture uh, of what we can do to look for God as a shelter, as a refuge. When our problems seem insurmountable, we must keep our eyes on God. And that's the message of this psalm. So focusing on our problems oftentimes brings fear. And when fear stirs and grows, of course, it can affect our faith. But looking to God increases our faith. And, of course, it brings us peace that we all want. So Psalms 46 really effectively and beautifully conveys this truth that no matter what happens, um, no matter what life brings, we're safe in the care of God. And that's ultimately what we're going to be studying. God is our rock, our stronghold. Uh, and there have been several. And, and I know that, John, later on this afternoon, you're going to be talking, I think, a little bit about Masada and, and about that concept. Keith talked a little bit about that earlier. But I think that the, the idea of us seeking refuge um, is, a, is a concept that, that we don't think about much now because we have what we think are all the answers. <laughs> We, we, we're really good in our day and age to, to, to deceive ourselves and to think that we can handle our problems. Um, but, well, I tell you what, we, we need to seek him. And if we don't, we're fools. And I, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I mean, maybe we're struggling on advancing. Here we go. So what I'd like to do in this, this few minutes that I have is, is talk about really four particular concepts that I think can be born out of Psalm 46. The idea that God is our refuge, strength, and fortress, which has been covered, but I'll highlight a few salient points and talk about a little bit of that because that's the most beautiful and the most memorable portion of the psalm. But we also have this concept of abandoning our fears. We'll talk about that. Part three will be being still. We all sing that song. We, have, we, we use that refrain, be still and know that I am God. But I think sometimes we don't necessarily understand what being still is and what that entails. So that, that was very impactful for me because of what I maybe assumed being still meant. Uh, and then we'll talk about pausing and weighing out what's been given to us. So we have this word that... Um, Brother Winkler, brother, I, I love the fact that you brought out the Hebrew 
and references to God because I think it just illuminates the text in that respect. But we have the introduction, very verse first, is with reference to Elohim, that majestic God, the God that's, the, that's, that's given to us in the plural form, this, this, this God above all gods. And, and we see this reference. The psalm later, later calls him the Lord Almighty, the Lord Sabaoth. Uh, translated as the Lord of Hosts in some places, but and, and although this title, of course, indicates his great authority and power, he's also referred to as the God of Jacob. In other words, he's a God who keeps his keeps his covenant promises, uh, and so we have that idea. So in Psalms 46, in the very first verse, we see again these references to us, our refuge, our fortress. What does that mean? Well, those are particular phrases that should give us the idea that God is covenant-keeping. These are his covenant people. Um, and, and so that those, those phrases should give us that sense that he's referring to a covenant people. But we have this idea of refuge, strength, and fortress. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing that I thought of when I think of refuge is I think of Israel. When, when we go to Israel, and you, you, you lived in Israel in, in someone's home, and uh, you know, by by uh, law, someone who someone I think that it's for the most part still law that you have to have a uh, a a refuge in the event of there being air raids. In fact, was there one in your building? I bet. I hope you never had to visit it. But I, I'm showing a picture of of a of a basically a bunker that you go to when there's issues going on and unfortunately Israel there's lots of issues that sometimes happen but this Hebrew word that we think of makase is this idea of refuge makase refers to a shelter for storms danger so next time you think of refuge we oftentimes think of high mountain tops and again we'll talk about fortress and stronghold and all those types but when we think refuge think of somewhere you go for, for your life in the event of bombs going on. I'm going to just throw this little piece out that we'll kind of circle back to at the end. Do you remember the cities of refuge that are referred to? We can't remember that concept in, in the context of what we're talking about here. Who was it that needed the cities of refuge? If you committed a crime or if you committed a murder, if you did not hasten yourself into a city of refuge, the family of that person who was killed could come after you. They could kill you. And so it was a life or death matter that you had to race yourself to that shelter. And that's the idea that I think of in Moxie. This chapter beautifully expresses this, this truth. The, the idea that God offers us two kinds of help. He, a stronghold for which we could go to or flee and a source of strength. In fact, when we think of that word, we think of the word oz. Oz. And you guys can say that Hebrew word right here in the front. Can you say oz? It's almost like oz, but it's an oz. That, that word is a Hebrew word for strength. And, and it's used throughout the Psalms to, de- to describe Yahweh's power, omnipotence, and all those types of things. In fact, there's this beautiful picture in Psalms 89 of this prevailing arm that, that, that uh, reaches out. Um, and, and that concept is used when the Exodus, when, when the Lord reached out to redeem his people out of slavery. And of course, that, there's so much we can glean from that today. But, but God is our refuge and strength. And, and of course, he is ever present uh, when we're in trouble. 
And I like this idea. When you think of fortress, the third part of that very first verse, the idea of fortress, a stronghold, that word is misgav. Miskav is that is that is that word that we get the idea of fortress and, and these were built on isolated elevated places to provide protection. Um, it also means impregnable. And when you think of God, isn't that a, the right word to put that? Is that He's impregnable um, and that He's inaccessible? Um, but again, this term, especially used in poetry. Is, to, is really referencing this idea of a protective, lofty place that you go to for safety. And, and again, that this is, a, I think, a, an adequate picture of something with walls, something that's, that looks impregnable. Um, and so when we think about this concept, in some instances, these fortifications were surrounded by walls, like you see in this picture. God was, to the psalmist, a stronghold of protection, um, his sure defense. He wasn't the second option. You know, in this day and time, we have backups for everything, right? He wasn't the second option. He wasn't the third option. He wasn't the backup. He was the primary source for salvation and defense. Um, you, don't, you don't get the idea anywhere when you read David writing the Psalms that, that God was a backup option. And, and do we not all in our transactions, don't we all have backup plans? <laughs> Um, God should not be the backup plan. I think that's very important. Now, I'm not going to talk about Masada because I think John, I want you to make sure you listen to John's talk on Masada. It's, it's, uh, no, no, no. no. (laughs) Well, what I, what I will tell you is that if you, if you've ever been there, uh, John and I walked the snake path. Um, I I told Keith that Keith needs to do that because he's an adventurer that likes pain and and suffering. But uh, but anyway, he you you need to do the snake path. But that was a great experience walking up that. But when you when you're at the bottom of the snake path looking up, you certainly get the idea of a stronghold somewhere that was a refuge somewhere that that you you get the idea and it it makes you really contemplate when David wrote this and in Psalms 31. Uh, read with me as we read this this text here. It says, "You in you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be ashamed in your righteousness. Deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me quickly. Be to me a rock of strength, a stronghold." And by the way, that that, that Hebrew word there is a derivation that we we use in this sense. And that that that, that Hebrew word is matsuda, matsuda. That's the Hebrew word that, that, I, that I believe, and I think is most experts agree, is where the Masada name came from, is that Hebrew word Matsuda. Um, and so, for you are my rock and my fortress. Isn't that beautiful? Um, you know, it, was David there when he, was David maybe on top of this or looking up at this as we did at the bottom of the, of the, of the snake trail? It's possible. And again, you get this idea of Masuda, a fortress that's almost impregnable. He is my rock. So if you, if you look at Psalms 18.2, and I've, I've kind of done my own translation, but, but Yahweh, again, the personal name of God, is my rock, my Matsuda, my fortress, my savior, my El, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, my gun. And the strength horn of my salvation, my stronghold. It's a beautiful piece. So again, this word Matsuda should remind us of maybe, again, this this amazing fortress that I'll let John talk about a little bit later. The second portion that we're going to talk about is the idea of abandoning fears. And when you get past the second verse 
and go with about the, the 46, 2 through 6, and just look at those passages, you get this idea of the turbulence of the world, the, the unpredictability of the world, the upheavals. It expresses, um, you see in these passages, expressing God's confidence in the Lord's protection even when the world seems to be shaking. Even when the world seems, again, politically, culturally, economically in an upheaval. Um, and you get this sense that the psalmist is reflecting on the fact that God can be relied upon even when we think the world is upside down. And Keith, you beautifully expressed that in your talk. The nations will come and go, uh, but the balance of power may shift, but God is sovereign. And that's the beautiful expression uh, that you see here, this idea of judgment, uh, that, that there's going to be a day of the Lord uh, and again, the psalmist seems to be reflecting upon that idea. When you look at verse 6, again, you think about this, all of the havoc and all the changes that happened. And if you think we're going through a lot of changes as a country, Israel at this time was in upheaval, ups and downs. People, literally, their neighbors would attack. But think of all the enemies that, that surrounded the, the nation of Israel, that still surround the nation of Israel. Um, but, uh, but when you think about the fact that, ju- that God says in verse 6, but they will fall quickly when he admits his judgment, with the word of judgment. And this, again, each of these metaphors, refuge, strength, fortress, all these things, paint the picture of people in distress. And so if you, if you think that, that we're not applicable, that we're not, uh, yeah, again, that, that this isn't speaking to us and that this isn't relevant to us, we're, we're blind to, to what this message is. We're just like that today. Do we not have global instability? <laughs> we truly have global instability, and so that's the idea. And then you see in, this, in this, this context this idea of a river. You see this there? You see this in verse 4, you see this river imagery. And, and you'll see that in other places like Ezekiel and Zechariah. You see other places that refer to this river coming out of the temple. Now, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, let me tell you, there is no river that comes out of the temple. This is beautiful imagery. And what do you think about when you think about a river that's supplying water? Of course, you think about a God who's supplying essential needs. And you think of tranquility. You think of the giver of life because life ultimately is in water. Uh, And so you see this this concept uh, over and over again, this beautiful motif of God being uh, someone who's going to provide life through water, this beautiful picture. And then you also get this image of, and although there are springs in and around the temple, the Gihon Spring, um, there there are no rivers, but, but both the Old and New Testament connect this water source with the provisions of God, and God's a provider. Uh, and so that's the idea here. Again, there's no river that runs from a king's palace or anything. It comes from God's house. That's the idea. That the river comes from God's house. Um, and so I think that's a beautiful picture. And then again, we see here in this passage this idea of Elion, the Most High God, Elion. Uh, I love that uh, when that word is used in these passages. And again, it evokes Romans 8:31. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is, not, is, is for us, who can be against us? I get a beautiful picture here. God, God's people can never be destroyed. 
And then we see in verse 8, take a look at verse 8 there. Uh, in examining this section, Psalms 46, again, it's, you see a little bit of a shift in tone. Uh, and you see this idea of come see, come look. The psalmist exhorts his people to consider, or hasa, uh, to see uh, the works of God. And, and so you see this idea, to see the works of God, what does that mean? Uh, when you see the works of God, you should reflect upon what God's done for you. Uh, and for David and for the people of Israel, it was their, it was his acts of deliverance. So, you know, none of you, none of you probably have been delivered out of captivity. But the people of Israel were delivered out of captivity. But when we think about being delivered, we should be, we should really think about being delivered from what? Sin and slavery that, that sin uh, puts us in. Absolutely. And so uh, remember in reciting the salvational acts is something that we should do. I mean, do we really contemplate what God's done for us? What, how, what He's done? And, and I guess it's hard to do that with the affluence that we live in, right? Isn't it easy to look and see your job or look at the car you drive and look at the nice houses you have and think... I did this on my own. I got a good job. I got a good education. I've got this or that. And that's really the reason why I have it. Boy, that's deadly to consider that the good things you have and the redemption you have isn't from God. It's, it has nothing to do with you. And then this, this third concept that we'll look at really quickly is this idea of be still. And I love this idea because uh, I have always looked at being still is maybe being meditative. Um, maybe about meditating upon God's kingdom and His the, what He is for us. And this idea of a, maybe a mental uh, idea of, of coming to recognize that I just need to pause and think. And although that's not untrue, that's not what this Hebrew word indicates. In fact, it's a, it's a hefil stem of a verb, rafa, and it really means to surrender. In fact, in, in, a, in, in a better translation, you could say to put down your arms. Uh, it, you could also say to become weak. Isn't that fascinating? It's not so much about becoming meditative. It's the idea of really giving up. Giving up your will. Submitting yourself fully. And isn't that what we're called to do in Romans chapter 12, right? Um, and in fact, what's interesting, this, this, in this context of Hebrew poetry, this Hebrew word, Rafaim, actually means place of the dead. Which, and, and ba so basically, when we, see, when we see be still, it's more than just this mental idea. It's stop your fighting. And, and I can't help but to think of someone who seemed to always want to fight with God. And that's Jacob. <laughs> in fact, he did fight with God. <laughs> Uh, he probably came the close to, 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 to literally doing just that, right? But what was the point in that whole storyline where Jacob realized who he was and where he was in the grand scheme of things? It was after God really just disabled him. It's after God made him realize that he was nothing. It was after he weakened him. It was after he made Jacob realize that he was nothing in and of himself. Um, and so, you know, again, this, in fact, the Holman's Christian Standard Bible uses this translation, stop your fighting. That, that, that changes the, the song we sing, doesn't it? <laughs> um, 
to be still a no to stop your fighting. Um, but isn't that true? Sometimes we do um, fight against what God wants for us. Maybe a better way of putting it, cease striving. Verse 10, again, falls into the third and last piece of this you know, beautiful um, you know, portion of Scripture in that, again, it's talking about this idea of uh, surrendering. And I think that's the most important thing we get from this verse. Be still and know it's to surrender. It's to stop fighting. Um, and, and again, in, in Hebrew grammar, be still and know, again, it's, it, it, in other words, it's, it's in order to know that God is in control, God most high, we must surrender to objectively know the saving power of God. We must surrender. And, and, and it, 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 Jesus, of course, reemphasizes the word. If you want to be my disciple, what are you going to do? You're going to pick up your cross and follow after me. Um, the idea of being uh, sacrificing yourself, a holy and acceptable God. And again, that idea is over and over again that we must surrender ourselves. We give up trusting in ourselves and our own designs to experience, again, the God's all insufficiency. Okay. All sufficiency. Know that I am God. Um, think about this idea throughout history, Israel and Judah. What did they constantly do? They constantly tried to lean on people other than God. Politically, economically. Think about what Solomon did economically. Boy, he made the country grow, but he also split the country. He also did imperable damage to the country. And it was because of their tendency to abandon who God was and abandon their faith for fleeting security of political support from Egypt, these alliances they would form, military strength. The people of God must distinguish themselves by the pursuit of godliness and that, again, know that I am God. And then as I mentioned in Genesis chapter 32, this idea of Jacob, and only through his weakness uh, was he able to truly understand that that's through surrender that we become strong? I always think about Jacob because I see people who limp every day. How many of you know someone who limps? Maybe some of you in here limp. Maybe you have something that maybe you've had a hip replacement, or maybe you've had a knee replacement. And and, and for, for the rest of your life, you will no, no longer have a normal gait. And maybe you think about that one accident you had. Maybe you think about that surgery. Maybe you think about what happened. But for Jacob, for the rest of his life, after Peniel, he limped. And I don't think he ever forgot coming face to face with God. And remembering that he had to surrender himself fully to recognize the true power that was in God. And sometimes that has to happen to us. And we need to surrender ourselves in that same way. So Psalms 46 begins with these words, The Lord is my refuge, my strength, my present help. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give away. It's only when we completely surrender to this truth, to recognizing this is true, that, that God is the only deliverer, that we can truly, again, have rest and peace in our lives. And the last point that we'll talk about is this idea of pausing and thinking. Because if you ever wondered, in fact, some news translate, the NIV, it no, no longer attaches that, that word that we see at the end of these sections, salah. 
um, do you know what that word means and why it's there? It's not there by accident. Um, you see this word. In fact, you see it three times in Psalms 46. You, do you have your Bible? Do you see that word? Uh, well, some people, of course, have just said, well, that's where you're supposed to just pause and take a break and maybe keep reading after that. Um, again, it, it certainly was probably involved in the singing of this song or this idea. Again, in the Hebrew, it means to hang. And so what do you, you know, in ancient times, when you were evaluating the value of something, what would you do? You would weigh it out. And so salah carries this meaning of weighing something, assessing its value. And so the next time you see that in the book of Psalms, in fact, you see it in the book, in the book of Job. Job 28 uses the same Hebrew word. And, and look at what he says. It says, The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued. It's that same Hebrew word uh, with pure gold. He intimates that jewels are weighed in the balance against wisdom. And so what does this mean for us? This means ultimately that when you see that word, you're not just to take a break. Maybe take a deep breath. It's more than that. It's ultimately taking inventory of where you're at and how this applies to you and what this means. It's to weigh carefully the meaning of what we just heard. That's what that word means. And that's what we should do. Uh, all the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. Sing the praises of your name. Selah. Stop for a second and think about what you just said. Think about how many times we sing praises to God. And, and Brother Winkler beautifully pointed out the fact that sometimes our worship can be stale and vain. Think about sometimes singing songs and we don't even... If you, if you ask someone what songs you sing at the end of the service, you wouldn't be able to pick out the names. Because we don't think. We don't weigh out ourselves. We don't assess ourselves when we sing praises to God. And I think that that's very important. Uncertainty exists everywhere, and, and we know that's part of our lives. But we have a reason to be glad in distress and suffering because of God's presence. We know we can handle it. We know we can do that. But we have the hope that Yahweh will one day make all of our struggles go away, that wars will cease, and that He is our spear, that He is our shield. And that's a beautiful picture for me. And we think about God's sovereignty and the idea of Him being a refuge, our strength and our fortress. A life of faith is lived continually in that commitment of God's sovereignty, recognizing He's our King. And of course, living in America, we, we don't appreciate the idea of kings very well, do we? We rebelled against the king system a long time ago, right? Um, we're a country that doesn't really understand that concept, but I, these folks did. They understood what truly being king was. And that ultimately, again, is that we talked about yesterday in the covenant uh, concept of that that suzerain treaty, the suzerainty treaty, the idea of a king having a covenant with someone much lesser than him. And that's what God is to us. He is our king, we are his vassal, and even though we have no way, we're incapable and we're pathetic at covenant keeping, he keeps, he keeps covenant with us because he's sovereign, because he's God. But he demands our holiness. Uh, it's not just unconditional in the sense that we must, again, seek after Him. Now, I want you to, I'm going to circle back in a minute to the ideas of cities of refuge, so keep that in mind. 
Yahweh demands holiness. And He expects us to use our brain and use our logic and rationale. Uh, and there's so many things that distract us. And Satan has done, been really good at distracting us from the reality of where we're at in the world. I mean, the, the more scientific knowledge we gain, the more we gain an understanding of the universe, the stars, we get more prideful. Uh, and I think our, our young people who are inundated with the ideas of evolution, the ideas of the age of the earth, and you, you, you tell a, a kid sitting in a classroom their earth is you know, 14 something billion years old, they can't understand 10 years, much less. So you know, they're, they're deceived into thinking that we just have it all wrapped up and that we don't need God. Uh, we don't have it all wrapped up. Uh, but He expects us, He expects something from us. He is our Masada, our fortress. And sometimes when we think the ground is crumbling underneath us, we can rely on Him because He is our fortress. He is our Masada. Uh, and ultimately, God makes us powerless. Uh, again, makes powerless the bow and destroys the spear of our enemies through the work of Jesus on the cross. And I think we, have, we need to circle back to what Jesus is to us. And again, while Psalm 46 was written uh, before the coming of Christ, obviously we know that much of God's work that He promises is ultimately going to be fulfilled and has been fulfilled through Jesus. Psalms chapter 2, David says this, Yet I have set my king on a holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree that the Lord has said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Uh, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You cannot read that and not see Jesus. That's who He is. He is our King. And we are told in Psalms 46 to lay our weapons down. Stop striving. Stop fighting. Uh, and when we, when we think about the idea that Jesus will come in judgment and He has, of course, given us our, a true refuge and stronghold, He has been the true Redeemer for us because it's His blood that sealed that covenant. We talk about the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus seals that covenant and makes that covenant sure for us. And I think that's a powerful idea. But we must not fight against them. We must surrender. And that's the idea that I think this passage gives us. This is the last slide. Remember the cities of refuge. If something happened to you, if you, again, are building a house... And a stone from the house falls on top of someone and, and, and kills them. Now, of course, you're innocent. But ultimately, that family can come after you. A, an eye for an eye was a concept that existed. And so these cities of refuge, and by the way, there were, there were many cities of refuge all over Israel. God made it easy for you to have refuge. If you, could, if you, if you lived in Dan, the, the cities of refuge weren't down in Beersheba. I mean, that would have been unfair. <laughs> Um, but God put them all over the country. In fact, we, we, you know, when we travel Israel, we go to some of those sites, some of the cities of refuge. Gezer being among the cities of refuge, which was very centrally located. If something happened, you had to flee. You had to run to that city of refuge. And what's so beautiful is the city of refuge points and foreshadows Jesus so clearly for us. Because Jesus is our city of refuge. And we must flee to Him. We must run to Him for salvation. God is the one who initiated the idea of the city of refuge. And, and of course, it says something about the heart of God. You know the other thing about the city of refuge? They weren't just applicable. They weren't just open to Jews. They were open to Gentiles. Now, how does that not point to what Jesus did? Jesus 
is open and he is a refuge. He is a safety place for all peoples. And the cities of refuge were places where whether you were Jew, female, child, old, no matter who you were, you could find security and safety in that city of refuge. And it's a beautiful picture. Here's the other thing that's amazing about this, about this event. Every, every several years, there would be a change in the high priest of Israel. And when the high priest died, when the high priest died, and that if it, if it was one particular year, or maybe it was every several years, but when that high priest died, every one of those people in the city of refuge had freedom. They could leave the city of refuge. The perpetrators, the people who were coming after you, no longer could seek blood. You could leave the city of refuge. Think about that. That was picked up by the Talmud, picked up by a lot of Jewish scholars later on, that the cities of refuge could also be that when the high priest died, the high priest atoned. His death atoned for those in the city of refuge. How does that not paint a picture of what Jesus did for us? But here's the thing I want to leave you with. What if you were one of those unfortunate people that had to run for your life to the city of refuge and you knew it was just right down the road. You knew it's there, but you didn't go to it. It's just right down the road. It's easy. I don't have to have a pass to get in. I don't have to show a card. I don't have to be of a certain ethnicity, but I just choose not to go to the city of refuge. I would call such a person a fool to have access and then not take advantage of it. The beautiful thing is is that when someone was seeking a city of refuge, the priest's job, not the high priest, but the priest's job was to point the way. You and I should be pointing the way to the city of refuge because it's only there that you'll find true refuge. It's the stronghold. It's the place of safety. It's the place of salvation. I hope this has been helpful to you. Thank you very much for your attention.